listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. When I was in fifth grade, I went to the annual school carnival. It's the Kelsey Norman Elementary School Carnival there in Joplin. And I went with my friend Taylor. Taylor and I were planning to go to the carnival together, and then we were going to go to his house and where I would spend the night. And I was looking forward to that because Taylor just got the brand new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles video game on regular Nintendo. And we were going to play that. Plus the fact that uh, his dad made the best chocolate milkshakes I've ever had in my life. So we were going to be pounding down some chocolate milkshakes and playing Ninja Turtles on Nintendo. But before we went to his house, uh, we went to the school carnival. And when we got there, he said that he wanted to go to the putt-putt golf booth. This sounded incredibly boring to me. Uh, I would rather play bingo than golf. Uh, I'm not a golf guy. I've never been good at it. I don't know what I'm doing, but Taylor wanted to go. And so we checked it out. When we got there, I found out real fast that for every hole-in-one you got, you received a Cadbury cream egg. And I told Taylor, you know, we can stay here all night if you want to, because uh, Taylor's pretty good at golf. And I know that we don't always remember things well from our childhood, but as I recall... We went to his house that night with a Walmart sack full of Cadbury cream eggs. Pretty sure that's how big it was. So I'm thinking, chocolate milkshakes, Ninja Turtle Nintendo, Cadbury cream eggs. Best night ever, right? When you're in fifth grade. (laughs) Right now, that sounds completely horrible. Um, All except the Cadbury cream egg part. I think I could do that. And I know some of you are not big fans of the Cadbury cream egg, you're like, that's like chocolate that's thrown up in its mouth. But um, I like them. I think they're great. And some of you are like, well, I used to like them. Um, Look, when it comes to like putt-putt golf or any golf at all, like I can hit the ball. I can hit the ball. I just can't aim it. All right? And I think that um, because I I don't have an aim or a hitting problem, I have an aiming problem, I think that in the church, our deficiencies in worship are kind of similar. Everybody can worship, but are we aiming right? Oh, we're going to worship something. You and I, we were made to worship. Just pick something. Pick something you're passionate about. For me, it'd be guitars and collecting vinyl and Cadbury cream eggs, apparently. Um, But what is it for you? You know, I'm just saying, pick your passion. It could be the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah? Um, of course, playing in Germany right now, which doesn't translate, in my opinion. The Kansas City Chiefs. In German, it's die Kansas City Chiefs. But anyway, um, it doesn't translate. Hope they win. Maybe for you, it's uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Maybe for you, the passion Taylor Swift. They kind of go hand in hand these days. I don't know why. Um, Maybe for you, the passion is St. Louis Cardinals, or maybe it's Facebook or Instagram or another kind of influencer. Um, Maybe for you, it's a YouTuber. I have young boys in my house, so it's dude perfect. Um, Maybe for you, the passion is ESPN, or the passion is maybe working out, just working on you, or making sure the clothes fit, you know? 
The list could go on. Look, we were made to worship. We're going to worship something. I'm just afraid that our misaimed passions reveal that we may not be great worshipers of God. Did you know even the Apostle Paul had a season of his life with misaimed passions? Before he became a follower of Jesus, we see this revealed in Galatians chapter 1, verse 14. I was in that passage this morning in my Bible study, and he said this, that he was zealous for the traditions of his elders. You understand? He didn't say he's zealous for God. He said he was zealous for the traditions of his elders. That's a misaimed passion. Even Paul had misaimed devotion. Do you? In our text today, the Apostle Paul is going to offer us some help. And here's how I'd like to sum it up. When Jesus' people allow Jesus to inhabit every inch of their lives, they can't help but gratefully worship. What I'd like us to do with this short little passage as we continue the study in Colossians is that if you would just stand right now in honor of the word of the Lord, and we're going to read this together out loud. You're going to see it on the screens. I'd just like to read this passage out loud together. Two verses, Colossians 3, 16, 17. Let's read. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat, church. Here's how Paul starts. Let. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. This is something we allow. It's not something we manufacture. In other words, we give license for the good news of Jesus to have its powerful effect in our lives. The Apostle Paul is referring to the message of Jesus as presented in the four Gospels, which would have already been circulating about this time, or at least three of them. And I think he's also referring to the uh, letters that he would have been divinely inspired to write up to this point. Galatians, Romans, those letters. That's the message of Christ. He says we're to let Christ's words take center stage. This is what Jesus' people do. One resource said that the word for dwell can mean inhabit for influence. I like that. Let the word of Christ inhabit you for influence. In other words, let it dwell in us. It's not just about having a lot of scripture memorized. It's about letting the message of Jesus influence us. To change us. And then Paul adds this descriptor. Richly. If some, now, let me ask you a question. If someone were to come and stay with you for like three weeks, someone from out of town, they were going to come and stay with you for about three weeks, and you described their stay as living richly in your home, what would that look like? I'm reminded of the movie What About Bob. Have you seen it? It's a psychotic comedy where Bob is the nut job patient of Dr. Leo Marvin. Dr. Marvin goes on vacation just right after he and Bob have had their initial consultation. Well, Bob can't function without the nearness of his newly beloved Dr. Marvin. So Bob kind of wiggles his way into finding out where Dr. Marvin has taken his family for a four-week vacation. And before too long, before you know it, Bob has invaded every aspect of Dr. Marvin's life. His home, um, the townspeople's affections, his wife, 
his kids' ad- admiration, and there's even kind of this small romantic flame with Dr. Marvin's sister. I mean, Bob's just invaded everything in Dr. Marvin's life. Now, I'm going to spoil the movie for you, but it came out in 1991. You've had over 30 years to see this. Um, in the end of this movie, Dr. Marvin goes completely bonkers, drives him nuts. And Bob discovers the secret to overcoming all of his psychological problems. Death therapy. Apparently it works. Anyway, the point is this. Bob lived richly in Dr. Leo's life. Every aspect of Dr. Marvin's life was impacted by Bob's presence. And just know, if you haven't seen it yet, or you're like, oh, I think it's been a long time, I'd like to see that again, just know that there's a few scenes (laughs) where they kind of poke fun at Tourette's syndrome and the language gets a little spicy, okay? You just need to know that. You've been warned. But here's what I'm trying to say. The message of Christ is to take this central place in our hearts, this overcoming place in our hearts, this all-consuming place in our lives. For Christ's word to inhabit all of us richly, he sets up camp and is in charge of lighting the fire. That's what he's getting at. He manages how I react to small inconveniences as well as major crises. He's the one who stops me from dangerously and aimlessly scrolling. He's the one who convicts me to sacrifice for the good of others. He shuts my mouth when I want to speak my mind. He calms my spirit when my heart is anxious. When I don't know what God's doing, he's the one who reminds me of what he's already done. When I'm faced with shock and awe at the world's worst, he refreshes me with the very presence of God. This is what it means for us to live with the word of Christ and to let it inhabit us richly for influence. But Paul's not done. He tells us how to do this as we go on in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. We are to teach one another. And to teach just means to instruct. So when we teach one another, we find ways of giving instructions to one another. It's why we still offer growth groups on Sunday mornings. We used to call them Sunday school, right? It's why we still have growth groups on Sunday morning. It's why we have life groups that meet throughout the week. It's why we uh, started our disciple-making trainings, like Jessica was talking about a little bit ago in the video, where Christ's Word becomes the curriculum, and we teach one another because there are things to learn. There are things to practice. There are ways for us to grow. We teach one another. Paul also says that we're to admonish one another. This takes on the form of a warning or an exhortation. It's not so much like hellfire and brimstone kind of preaching, but it does have a warmth to it. An admonishment is a warm warning. That's what it is. It's a warm warning. It's the spirit of genuine care for a person's lost condition or ways that they need to grow in Christ. Well-known atheist, Penn Jillette, he's pretty famous for his social media post a while back where he asks this question, how much do you have to hate someone to not warn them of a coming doom? He said this in response to a positive encounter that he had with a Christian after one of his shows in Las Vegas. This brother in the Lord had come up to him after the show, said it was a great show. He was very kind and compassionate, but he was concerned about Penn's eternal future, about his salvation. And even though Penn didn't believe, he was still blessed 
by this kind and compassionate approach. And his social media post drew attention to how many Christians don't admonish anyone. They don't warmly warn anyone. They don't compassionately challenge anyone. And yet this is what Paul instructs us to do. We are to teach and we are to admonish one another. He goes on. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. You see, a Jesus place is a singing place. In his wisdom, God made us to sing. I I sing, not because I'm good, but because he is. That's why I sing. And since Paul addresses, in our text, since he addresses the way we're to sing with one another, I thought I would lean into this just as an opportunity to acknowledge something that doesn't always get a lot of traction on Sunday mornings around here. So I just, I just want us to kind of consider this a family meeting. Can we do that? Look, if you and I were to sit down one-on-one over a cup of coffee and talk about these things, I'm sure that with you I would have quite the pastoral approach as one who would genuinely listen and genuinely care. And I know that because I've just had lots of opportunities like this over the years. But since we're in this setting right now, I'm just going to appeal to your graciousness and take on a little bit more of an instruction mode as we directly apply Paul's words. So I'm kind of calling a family meeting here. Okay? Family meeting. Here we go. Uh, I have been leading worship every week of my life for almost 30 years. 20 of those years have been here at Northside. I've heard a lot of opinions over the years, some very good and some very encouraging and others not so much. And it's funny to me how someone might come up to me after a service or even ever so rarely turn in an anonymous connection card and they talk about the volume of the worship service, that it's just too quiet. You didn't think I was going to go there, did you? It is true. It happens. You know, we often struggle to think that someone might not only disagree with us, but actually feel the exact opposite of us. And they're sitting right next to us in the same service. Believe me, it happens. One person says they like the sound. Another person questions my own hearing. These two people are sitting side by side. It happens. One person says we don't sing enough new songs. Another person says they miss the hymns. One person feels visual production is helpful to their experience. Others feel it's distracting. And I, I just want you to know, just from a pastoral heart here for us, as, as a worshiping people, like I feel like I've heard it all. But I've also heard that it said it's, it's wise to listen to everybody, but only let a select few speak into you. I guess I'm trying to employ that. But can I just tell you honestly, in all the, all the years, all the conversations, I, don't, I can't recall a time when I've had someone make a critical comment that did not lean into their own preferences. Do you understand what I'm getting at? And, and maybe it's happened and I just don't remember, but I can't recall it. I think it would stand out to me. I can't recall a time when an older person has come to me and said, you know, I think we need to turn up the bass because we have a younger generation just maybe connects with them a little better. I don't know, could we give it a try? 
I can't recall a time when a younger person has come up to me and said, I wish you wouldn't shake the room. I think it's kind of upsetting maybe to some of our older people. Can, can you hear my heart? Can you hear a pastoral heart on this rightly? I, this is not a rant. I'm not upset. I'm just afraid that maybe we're not aiming right. And we have allowed other things to come in and to become so important. So how is it that we can aim right? How can we make sure that as a worshiping people, a Jesus place, we worship rightly and aim rightly? Well, Paul, I think, is going to help us with this in our text. Paul's going to give us three ways and one how. Three ways and one how. Let's look at the three ways that we can sing with one another. First of all, he says psalms. Sing with psalms. Remember that the earliest Christians were Jews to begin with. Their practices and methods of worship and service would have looked very Jewish as they understood the fulfillment that their Messiah had brought. And it would make sense then that the earliest Gentile believers would have been discipled by those who had come out from Jerusalem. So we can assume that even in the early days, the Gentile believers were to use the Psalms as their liturgy. And in the same way, we are committed to using the Psalms in our worship as well. Sometimes the Psalm language is placed inside of a song's lyric. Other times it's just in the way that we read from the text. But we believe that this divinely inspired book of prayer should be used in the corporate gathering of worship. One of the best ways that we can enhance our worship together with one another, I believe, is just to become familiar with the language of the Psalms. And there's a lot of ways over the years that I've tried to devotionally connect with this book. But here recently, I'm trying something new. Every afternoon, or just when I can squeeze this in, for maybe about 10 to 15 minutes, I just try to read through the Psalms. Just a little bit, a little portion of the book. That's it. It's not complicated. Just so that I can become more and more familiar, always familiar with the language of prayer. And you might be surprised if you bring that kind of habit into your life, how that might help you in your own personal worship, your encounter with the Lord. So we're to sing with psalms. We're also to sing with hymns. Now, of course, the biblical understanding of this word hymn does not refer to singing out of a hymnal. You understand that, right? That's not what this is about. You know, even pagan Gentiles of the day, they had hymns of their own. Because really, all that a hymn is, it's a song that's set aside to praise their heroes for what they had accomplished. That's all a hymn is. It's a song that's set aside to praise a hero for what that hero had accomplished. And in the early church, hymns were already being shared from one church to another. The Apostle Paul had written some of them. These songs declared what Christ, our hero, had accomplished for us. One of the greatest examples of a hymn is found in our text, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. It's one of the greatest hymns ever written by Paul. We're also to sing with spiritual songs. This is a term that refers to the spirit of man, the rational spirit as a part of the person whom God's Spirit connects. A spiritual song is a song that comes from the life of the person. It's a song of testimony. We might label it today as like a gospel song. We might call it a gospel song. You know, even the song Amazing Grace can fit this type of song, spiritual song. By definition, by musical definition, Amazing Grace is not technically a hymn. It's a spiritual song. It's a song of testimony, a song that praises what the hero has accomplished through Christ and changed the life of a man named John Newton. And we can resonate with his testimony. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And the Apostle Paul, what he's providing for us in this text is a healthy diet of ways that we can sing with one another. 
Jesus' people will maintain this balance. It's just not helpful when we pick sides on worship styles or ages of songs or whatever else, especially when we've been given direct commands to employ such a wide variety of songs and elements. So Paul gives us three ways, and then in our text he provides us with one how. How are we to do this? Well, in verse 16 he tells us, with gratitude. With gratitude. And here we are, in November, the season of thanks, where we should worship with gratitude that flows out from the very center of who we are. Paul would put it this way, sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. I'm convinced that any discontentment or dysfunction of worship in my own life stems from an absence of gratitude. And I don't think I'm alone. When I forget to be grateful, my worship suffers. Let me say it like this. Our discontentment and dysfunction in our worship gatherings come from an absence of gratitude. Why? Because worship flows out of gratitude. It just does. And speaking of gratitude, I think it's appropriate for us uh, just to, in the season of thanks to acknowledge uh, Jason Henson. Why don't you come on up here, Jason? Jason is the director at Victory. Uh, you saw his truck out here as today is Turkey Sunday. Uh, Jason is the director. And so we're glad that you've uh, blessed us today with your presence. So glad to have you today. And um, just with all the turkeys that are here uh, in the truck, in the truck, uh, it came out wrong. All the turkeys that were brought here today. Uh, tell us, first of all, just what, what will those turkeys be used for? Yeah. So right now we're at like 183. So just uh, the turkey count is at 183. And what we'll do those couple things, we are going to give those to people for Thanksgiving uh, baskets that we're going to help them feed themselves, create families. But we're also going to heat them up cook them up and basically cater meals at smaller churches in the neighborhoods around Grant Beach, York, uh, schools like that. So we're going to help them have uh, access to the people in their neighborhood to say, hey, come in and let's build a community here because when we eat together and break bread together, uh, we know there's relationships that are formed. And that's that's what really changes lives is those relationships focused on Christ. And what I think is really great about that idea is it's not just that we're giving turkeys that will be used in our community uh, through the community meals or through um, uh, just individual families. But, I mean, really, church, we're also blessing brothers and sisters and their fellowships in their communities to reach their, the people around them. Uh, so I think that's a real blessing. What are some things that you are grateful for at Victory? Well, I am, I'm definitely grateful for this uh, church community because last year at this time, uh, we, we did a one less gift offering, and Victory was a big part of that and, and really was able to match some funds for some capital projects that we're, that we're focused on. And so now we have construction documents that is, they're ready, we're shovel ready, we're looking for kind of the next phase of that financial journey. And I'm not here asking for that. I'm saying you made a way so that we have those documents ready. So if that next person comes in and is like, I got $5 million, like, guess what? We're ready to go. And God is, God is going to step into that. And we're just waiting for that, how he's going to move and how he's going to do it. And Northside Christian, you helped make that way. So thank you. I'm grateful for that. Moving forward then, I know you've got a lot on your plate, but what are some things that are really getting you excited for this new season of ministry? 
Yeah, so we, over the summer, we worked a deal with the city of Springfield to recycle mattresses. So if you've ever been to Franklin Recycling Center or the Lone Pine Recycling Center or out at the landfill, they have this container and you put your mattress in there for 15 bucks, box springs, 15 bucks. And what Victory is going to do is they, the city then pays us to take those mattresses, to take them apart so they don't go to the landfill and we recycle the springs, we take the wood out. And so that, that space, uh, that, you know, mattresses are not made to be compacted, right? So then you put it in a landfill and it does that. It doesn't get compacted. And so it really fills up too much and the city's concerned about that. And so as a green person, um, we are excited for it. As a workforce development tool, we're excited for it. And as a financial tool, we're excited for it because the city's going to pay us to take that off their hands, essentially. So they have a problem and we're the solution and it puts people to work. That's like a win-win-win. And you guys are doing all of that, whether it's the meals uh, or the recycling projects, you're doing all of that in the name of Jesus. And I think that's probably the biggest piece. And we'll get to that part in our text here in just a little bit. Uh, But what are some ways that we can be praying for you, some challenges that you guys see on the horizon? Yeah, the challenge is always the people, the men and women in our long-term programming. That's our discipleship programming uh, coming up. you know, from our shelter, they might say, Hey, I, I, my life is really off the rails more than I ever thought. Um, and we, I need a long-term process. That's at least a year long process. And what I would ask for your prayers and covet your prayers for is to pray that those people will be faithful. God is faithful, right? Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love is moving toward them. He's drawing them with love and kindness. Jeremiah reminds us, but we need them to stay put so that they can experience that more and more. And they, they get that attitude of gratitude and they get that shifting in their heart and they realize, oh my gosh, God is really caring for me and loving me. And that's a renewing of our mind that we're all doing. You're challenging all of us today to do. Yeah. And so we'll definitely pray for that here in just a second. Um, I do want you to know that after the service today, Jason's going to be at the victory table in our central lobby. I know he would love to connect with you. And uh, maybe there's some things that the Lord will stir in you of ways that you can partner with that good work uh, personally. I know today would be a great day to have those conversations. And um, glad that the truck is here. Uh, It's always a good opportunity for us to contribute in that way. So church, let's just join in prayer right now over victory in this season for them. Uh, God, we bless you. We bless you because you're good. You've proven yourself faithful again and again. We trust that you will do that for all of eternity. We're just glad to partner with Victory. Glad for Jason and his team. We pray that you would guard and protect their good work that they're doing in your name and for your glory. We pray that you would give them great wisdom as they press forward. Wisdom that's uh, from above, that's first of all pure, and then peace-loving, and gentle, and compassionate, and compliant. We pray all their projects, all their initiatives would be led by you and empowered by you. We are praying for those who come through the program, especially those who come to the program uh, not knowing who you are. We pray that you would open their eyes, they would get to see Jesus for who he truly is, and would willingly and joyfully yield their lives up to him. We pray this so that your name can be glorified in their lives and so that then they can take that good news of the gospel and spread it to whoever they come in contact with, uh, that we would see the multiplication of disciple makers in this community. We love you. We thank you for this partnership. We pray your blessing over victory in Christ's name. And all God's people said together, amen. 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 Thank you, Jason. Thanks. I want us to move on to verse 17 here, Colossians 3, 17. Paul says, and whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do everything 
in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I really like this word, whatever. It's a really flexible word in the Greek. It's actually made of two words, haspas, that's how you pronounce it, haspas, and it means this, the all of everything. It's the all of everything. Whatever you do, the all of everything. Nothing is left out. Paul is saying that in everything that we do, we're to work, literally, work everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So I want to talk about that phrase. What does that mean to do something in the name of the Lord Jesus? I'm going to take you back to English grammar school for just a second here. Do you remember what an onomatopoeia is? Anyone? <laughs> Bueller? Um, do you remember what an onomatopoeia is? It's, it's the working out of a name or a word. An onomatopoeia is kind of like an old episode of Batman, you know, where every time they hit it, you know, bam, you know, crack, splat, kapow, you know, whatever it is, appears in the sky. Listen, if, if you punch someone in the face so hard that words materialize in thin air, you're punching too hard, okay? But that's just Batman for you. But this is kind of like an onomatopoeia where the word is getting worked out. To do something in the name of Jesus is when his nature is getting worked out. We worship in the nature of Jesus. We teach and admonish in the name of Jesus. We serve others in the name and nature of Jesus. Here's a good question to ask yourself as a personal check. Can I really do this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I really do this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Whatever we do, it's to be honoring to him. The way we steward our money, the way we steward our time, the way we work at our jobs, the way we parent our kids and the way we study for class, the way we use our private time, the way we search the web, the way we speak to others, the way we speak about others, the way we speak for others, the way we feel when we're hurt, the way we react when we're mad, the way we eat, the way we give to others, our investments, our hobbies, our weekends, our weeknights, our clubs, our ministries, our binge-watching and our workaholism, our addictions and our sacrifices, our serving, our loving, our caring, our helping. Do you understand? Like whatever, whatever we do, do it as one who is representing Jesus himself. And as we look forward on what we can apply, I just want to close with what I believe Paul is giving us as three ways to obey this divinely inspired word. Because you see, when Jesus' people allow Jesus to inhabit every inch of their lives, they can't help but gratefully worship by speaking, singing, and serving. Let's talk about those three things and we'll close. Worship through speaking. In all wisdom, we are to teach and admonish one another. One of the primary ways that God designed for the word of Christ to inhabit all of us is through our gatherings for study. In the early church, they met in temple courts and in homes. Both are important because a Jesus place is a studying place. Through teaching and admonishing, we learn how to not only let the word of Christ inhabit us, but we also experience how to let the word of Christ be integrated into our lives through practice and obedience. So don't underestimate the value of consistently letting the Word of Christ inhabit you as you integrate it into your life. In other words, make the gathering for study a priority. In other words, come to church. Sometimes it can be that easy. Look, it's no secret that in the United States, church attendance is on the decline. The national average says that a person can come once every six weeks and feel like it's their church home. They can come once every six weeks and be considered a regular attender. That means that they can show up about 18 Sundays a year. 
That's around 35% of the Sundays in a year. That's worse than an F minus, if such a thing existed. Um, We're surprised that we don't feel connected. And sometimes we're surprised to find that our nation is biblically illiterate. Now look, obviously, Sunday mornings are not the only time to learn and to grow. I, I realize that, and I realize you're also here right now. So like, it's kind of like preaching to the choir. But I want you to see and just admonish you to not only keep this as a priority so we can teach one another, but also help others for whom it is not a priority. Encourage them. Invite them. Remind them. Pray for them. Call them to say, we miss you. And even if Northside's not the best fit, help them find a place that is. So we're to worship through speaking. We're to worship through singing, Paul tells us. His instruction helps us see that we're to sing from the heart with all kinds of songs. Now, we know that worship is more than singing, but I wonder, I wonder, what do you suppose facilitates more worship? I want you to finish this sentence in your head. I don't want you to say anything out loud. Just think about it. You know, I could worship God a lot more vibrantly around here if we had more... What? You know, I could worship God a lot more vibrantly around here if we had more hymns. I could worship a lot more vibrantly around here if we had more new songs or more volume. I could worship a lot more vibrantly around here if we had more country or rap or Icelandic punk. It's a thing. Um, I could worship a lot more vibrantly around here if we had pews. I miss pews, you know? Community. I could worship a lot more vibrantly around here if we had lights or quietness, stillness. We often look at the quality of our worship gatherings as if it's an equation that goes like this. Jesus plus more fill-in-the-blank equals more worship. If we have Jesus plus more of whatever you put in that blank, it equals more worship. Jesus plus more hymns equals more worship. Jesus plus more new songs equals more worship. Jesus plus more quietness, stillness equals more worship. But I think that Revelation 5.13 actually pushes back on that idea. In Revelation 5.13, we see this amazing picture of the worship of eternity. It highlights the totality of who will worship and the target of worship. The totality of worship is this. Every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything in them. Kind of like everything, right? And it highlights the target of worship, the lamb on the throne. In other words, the worship of heaven has everything that's needed. Nothing is lacking. So I think our equation might be wrong. Instead of saying Jesus plus more something equals more worship, I think the equation should be more Jesus plus all creation equals more worship. If we're going to be a church that worships through singing, we, we, we don't need more created things. We don't need more customization. We don't need more modernization. And none of those things are necessarily wrong and sinful. I'm not saying that. I just know we need more Jesus. And don't rush to the conclusion that we need less creation to have more worship. Revelation shows us that all creation yields in worship. So just like taking things away, you know, we need less of this. We need less microphones. We need less buildings or whatever, you know. That's not going to equal more worship either. We need everything to be given over in praise. So really, just what we need is more Jesus. It's what we need. And I'm convinced 
that if he remains the target and the star, you will sing. The the last application point here comes from verse 17. Paul tells us that whatever we do, the emphasis is on whatever, right? Hosh, pos, the all of everything. But he also uses this word do. It's where we get our word for ergonomics. It's about the work we do. One of the best ways we can worship the Lord is through our work, through our serving. We worship when we work for him. We worship when we actively serve him. God's people, Jesus' people, are to be active. They're to be on the move. We're not just supposed to sit still. Look through your Old Testament and you're going to see something very clearly. Altars are stationary. People are mobile. Altars don't move. We build them, we set them up, and the people move on. And if your idea of worship is what happens in a stationary building, then you aren't seeing the full picture. True worshipers will be launched into activity. Yes, you can serve in ministry here. But we also need to be serving in the community, meeting needs, sharing whatever we've learned from Jesus with others. These are the things that happen in the life of a person in whom Christ dwells. Because when Jesus' people allow Jesus to inhabit every inch of their lives, they can't help but gratefully worship by speaking, singing, and serving. It is appropriate for us to end our time here in the same way that Paul does, with gratitude. In verse 17, he tells us to give thanks to God the Father through Jesus. This is a different kind of gratitude than what we see in verse 16. We already talked about that. In verse 17, it's a different word. The word here is eucharisto. It's, it denotes the giving of thanks. It's the word that the church has historically used in reference to communion. So at this time, I want us to give thanks as we remember the Lord Jesus and what he's done for us. If you didn't grab one of those communion cups on your way in, now's a great time. You can uh, go to one of the tables in the back of our worship center. If you're joining us online, just know that uh, we want to encourage you to participate with us in this, not just observe. And know that we, we never want you to feel pressured that you have to do this. If you are not a baptized believer in Jesus, or even if you're not simply not prepared to receive the bread and juice, it's, it's okay to simply reflect on what Christ has done for you during this time. We respect this journey that you're on. But what I want us to do is just have some time to give thanks to Jesus for what he's accomplished for us, what our hero has accomplished. I want us to reflect on the ways that our lives have not worshipped him, and yet he still died on the cross to save us from these things. So I'm going to give you some quiet space to just give him thanks. And I'm going to do it in a very specific way. So I will give you something specific to thank him for. And then you just find the words for you to give him thanks for that. And then after a season of thanks, we'll receive the bread and juice together. So would you take a quiet moment here and just give him thanks for receiving the flogging that by his stripes we are healed. Give him thanks for carrying his own cross that should have been ours.
Thank him for taking the nails into his hands and feet. Thank him for committing his spirit to obeying the will of the Father. Thank him for paying the price for your salvation. Jesus, we are thankful. And sometimes that expression just seems kind of trite, given the weight of what you gave up. But I struggle to find words to express my gratitude for you. You have rescued me. You came to me when I was full of sin. And you gave me grace. So I give you thanks. And even now, as we as a body remember this, we receive this bread representing your broken body. We receive this juice representing your blood poured out for our cleansing. As we receive it, this is our expression of gratitude. But also as we receive it, We pray that this would serve as fuel to serve you and to follow you and to live like you and to honor you from this place today. We thank you for this. We receive these gifts from your hand in the name of Jesus. Amen. of the greatest worship. Amen. Every part, every part of who we are is to be yielded up to him. And let's be honest. We're not only sometimes bad aimers, we're bad yielders. Maybe today, the best thing for you to do is just to say as as an expression of gratitude, God, I'm here. (laughs) It's not much, but I'm here. You know, it doesn't take a great person to be a follower of Jesus. It just takes all there is of him. And so today, maybe as an act of gratitude, you can give yourself more fully to the Lord. Maybe you need prayer and help for that. Our prayer team in the Red Church is going to be around our worship center as we close in song. Or maybe you need to pray and visit with somebody. I'm going to be in our decision point area out these doors, and I know I would love to pray with you. If you need a little bit more time just to think and process, it's okay. And you can reach out to us with the information you see on the screen. We'll be following up with you to pray with you and to support you. 
But right now, church, we're going to stand in honor of the Lord. And we're going to sing to him. We're going to become good worshipers who are aiming properly. Let's worship together. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.